Well, hello, it's December 21st. I'm Ezra Levan, and this is Battleground. Hi, everybody. Great to see you every Friday. I like to sit down here live and just chit chat a bit every weekday at 8 p.m. I have a more produced show where I give an opening monologue rant and interview a guest, but at noon on Fridays, I like the kibitz and take any questions. Uh, it's called a super chat, which is a word that YouTube invented. Um, it's it's basically uh, same as a normal live chat, except for if you chip in a few bucks, your comment is put in bold, um, highlighted color. And if you chip in enough, it's appended to the top of the little message box there. We like it, not only because we like the super chat, but uh, we get 70% of the uh, dough. Uh, which is good because YouTube demonetizes us uh, on the rest of the site. So at least so far, they let us keep at least uh, 70% of this. So great to have you here. Um, <clears throat> this will be the last Super Chat I do for 2018 because uh, we're taking a break next week, but we'll be back in the new year. And um, I thought I'd bring seven clips that show up, the range of some of the, the moments of the, there's so many, you know, you know how many videos we've done? And you can probably see this if you go on our YouTube homepage and click the about. Uh, at least on the Creator Studio dashboard, it, it shows that we have um, produced and published close to 11,000 videos. 11,000 videos since we were born in 2015. <coughs> that is a lot of videos. And uh, I haven't looked at the stats in a little while, but last I checked, we had about 1.7 billion minutes of video that has been watched. Uh, again, I'm going from memory. Don't hold me to the precision there. Um, <clears throat> so that was, uh, we're coming along. And you know, it's December 2018, February 15th, 2019, which is only, what, seven weeks away, will be our fourth birthday. And we're still around, and we're giving her. We're giving her, and we have new things afoot for 2019. In fact, 10 minutes ago, I just got off a Skype call with some new talent that we are going to introduce to you, God willing, if everything goes well. In 2019, I'm not going to say who it is, but they are a little bit cheeky. Just a little bit cheeky. Uh, we have talents who are interested in joining our team. I always find that flattering. Uh, and I also find it excruciating because I want to say yes to everybody. But of course, we must live within our means. We are not part of the state-sponsored government bailout media in Canada. For my foreign viewers, as in non-Canadians, you may not know. But Justin Trudeau, who already controls the majority of news media in Canada through the state broadcaster, the CBC, which has more news reporters than all private sector media combined, it's not enough for him. So he has actually rolled out a $595 million journalistic slush fund. But according to the Toronto Star, it will only go to journalists that Trudeau himself trusts. Uh, obviously, that's not us. And obviously, that's an immediate sellout. It's inherent in the terms. If you can only get the money, if Trudeau trusts you, you are going to be trustworthy. Um, but journalists should not be trusted by politicians. Politicians should be scared of journalists, should be... Uh, if not scared of them, um, they shouldn't be able to rely on them. They should regard them as a threat because journalists would always be asking for the truth. But we haven't had that in Canada. We will not have that. If, you, if you're curious about the size 
Of $595 million in the Canadian market, realize that Canada is one-tenth the size of the United States. So for a rough comparison, it would be as if Donald Trump said, hey, hey, failing newspapers, hey, TV stations, hey, everyone trying to compete in the age of the Internet. Um, you're having a tough time, but guess what? I have $5 billion, $6 billion that I will give to you, but only if I can trust you. Well, everyone would say that's a, a gross interference, a violation of the separation of the press and the government. Well, that is exactly what's happening in Canada. And, of course, the people who would normally be on guard, the watchdogs, well, they're the ones being bribed. The watchdogs will become the lapdogs. I think that's a problem. Um, <clears throat> so let me show you some of the vids that we've done, and I, these are in no particular order. I, I just put together seven little clips that I thought showed some of the fun stuff we did. Fun or interesting or far afield. Um, you know, like I say, we've produced nearly 11,000 videos, so it's, it's almost impossible for me to even cast my mind across all of them. But let's start with one that was fairly recent. Our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed recently went to Katowice, Poland, because that's where the United Nations Global Warming Conference was held. Now, what's so funny about that is Katowice, Poland, is the West Virginia of Poland. And the actual conference site for this global warming conference, the building, was a stadium built atop a reclaimed coal mine. And to get into it, you had to go through the Coal Mine Museum. And the buses that were circulating, taking delegates around, were sponsored by the, <laughs> the Polish Oil and Gas Company. The whole thing was one giant 3D real-life troll. <clears throat> I mean, imagine, let's say the United States hosted the, the UN Global Warming uh, Conference. It wouldn't happen under Donald Trump. But, oh, they'd want to be in New York or Miami, or LA, or maybe Seattle, it's cool up there, maybe Austin, or Boston, or Chicago, lots of great cities in America, lots of great, great cities in America, I'm a fan. But imagine if Donald J. Trump said, no, 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 no. You're going to a place that's almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River, Life is old there, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, blowing like a breeze. You're going to West Virginia. Imagine if Donald J. Trump hosted the Global Warming Conference in West Virginia on top of a, a reclaimed coal mine. That is what Poland did. I love that. So without further ado, here's a quick clip of Sheila. And I should tell you that obviously Sheila was banned from the formal conference, and they, they tell her why. They say the Canadian delegation specifically requested that she be banned because she asked the, the wrong questions. They don't even, they don't even hide it. Uh, so here's Sheila. She encountered some, some uh, leftists. I was going to say hippies, but they're not really hippies because they're all about the dough. Hippies pretend not to care about money. Hippies are more about like, uh, like drugs and stuff and music. But these folks at these global warming conference, they're, they're sort of the opposite of the hippies. They're lobbyists, they're schemers and scammers, they're looking for subsidies. They're multi-million dollar international anti-oil lobbies, like Greenpeace, what's their budget these days? About $500 million a year US? That's a multinational corporation. So Sheila encountered some of these uh, millionaire hippies, uh, and it was cold in Poland in December, as you might guess, and she went to one of their sort of um, hippie hipster places, and uh, guess what? It wasn't solar powered. Here, take a look. We're here at the Central Square in Katowice, Poland. We're covering the United Nations Climate Change Conference. It's the 24th annual being held in this Polish city. 
Now, right behind me is one of the public displays around the city. There's not a lot of them here. And there's a man inside giving a lecture to about five to ten people who I only suspect are in there trying to warm up because it is unforgivingly cold here in Poland. But it looks tropical, right? There's tropical plants growing on the wall. They want you to believe that you can survive in a winter climate here and be comfortable with just some tarping and another form of insulation that I'll show you just around the corner here. It's very familiar to me as a farmer, so come on. So just around the corner here is the sort of insulation you might use in your barn or your doghouse. If your animal spends any time outside, it's straw. They want you to believe that you can survive in a Polish climate and survive comfortably with plastic tarping and straw, eco-friendly straw. But there's something else that I noticed that is, again, very familiar to me as a Westerner, as someone from Alberta. Keep walking. <laughs> it's our old friend, the frost fighter heater. This is pumping hot air inside this little meeting shack and it's plugged in. There's the power cord you can see and it's plugged into an outlet that runs along the ground and this thing is pumping hot air. If you come around the corner, there's the little tunnel and it comes all around the corner and it is pumping hot air to make these climate change fighters very comfortable inside their little meeting house. This is just like everything else at the climate change conference. It's fake, it's misleading, and it's a lie. For the Rebel.media, I'm Sheila Gunreed. It looked so cold there. It looked cold. Of course, they're not going to be able to, to keep that place warm on solar or wind. Um, it is fake. It's, it's a PR exercise. You know, uh, Sheila went to the Global Warming Conference in Marrakesh, Morocco a couple years ago. Is it easy for you to find the, the electric car things, uh, Justin? You know, um, in Marrakesh, Morocco, they had these like Tesla car chargers or electric car chargers. Uh, and Sheila noticed that no one was using them. Like no one was using them. I mean, that's normal. Yeah, I mean, like here in Toronto, you go to a parking lot and the premium spots are obviously for the handicap parking. And then the handicap parkers, what well, maybe they had to take a few handicap slots away because the green car, well, they're given pride of placement too. Why is that? Why, why because you're a millionaire and can afford a Tesla, why do you get to park closer to the entrance? Anyway, it's a thing in Toronto probably elsewhere too, that, that the premium placements go, and they're never used. I'm not, I shouldn't say never. Maybe 10% of the time I see a Tesla in these rich downtown parkades. I never see them anywhere else around the country. So you would think, so it's not a surprise that these uh, electric car plug-in uh, things are not used. That's, that's normal, right? But you'd think at a UN Global Warming Conference that they would be showing it off. They would be using it a little bit at least. But Sheila was at this Global Warming Conference in Morocco and did not see it at all. And she went up to one of these e-charger things. And it wasn't even real. It wasn't even rooted in the ground. It wasn't plugged in. So we made a fun video about this. But it, So th this is a video we made once we knew they were fake. 
But she didn't know they were fake until she went up. And here, take a look at this. This is Sheila in Marrakesh at that global warming conference. My team and I have been at COP22 now for two full days. And on both days, we noticed these little electric car chargers. And both days, we noticed that nobody was using them. So we thought we'd hang out for a little bit and see if anybody's actually using them or if they're just for show. The waiting part is sort of funny, but the fact that they weren't even real, that's not even funny anymore. That goes to the thesis that was demonstrated in Poland there. It's all fake. It's all fake. It's fake, fake, fake. Um, okay, I want to catch up because it's 12.13 and we only have one hour and I, and I have seven clips and then I added that, that one right there. If, if I keep up this pace, we're not going to get through it all. Another one fairly recently, the migrant caravan coming up from Honduras and El Salvador and whatnot making its way into Mexico. I had a lot of obvious questions. Um, how? Who? I've dealt with large crowds before. Sometimes we organize events. I've even organized long time ago, marches and things of that sort. Um, it doesn't just happen organically. There has to be a leader. And if you're marching thousands of people hundreds of miles, well, that's not, that just doesn't happen on its own, especially if there's women and children and how these people fed and how they organized. And what about healthcare? What about bathrooms? What about shelter at night? That's not an organic thing. That's just not real. And yet there was no skeptical reportage in the mainstream media of this. All we heard was the propaganda. These are women and children. These are refugees. I didn't buy it because I've seen this movie before a few years ago when Angela Merkel invited the third world to Europe. We saw then that the vast majority of the migrants were not women and children's first type refugees. They were young military aged men who were at best economic migrants. At worst, of course, we've since learned terrorists. So who were these people? Well, we sent David Menzies down because you just can't trust the mainstream media to tell you the truth. And here just, <clears throat> David, by the way, did um, 27 videos. He was embedded with his caravan for, I think, four days. You can see them all, if you're curious, at caravanreports.com. Caravanreports.com, all 27 videos. Uh, but here, um, one selected at random by our producer, Justin. Take a look. The question arises as the migrant caravan makes its way through Mexico. Why is it that so many people in so many of the towns and villages we've encountered would give water and food and clothing and in some cases even shelter to the migrants. Well, we just had a fascinating discussion with a gentleman by the name of Martin uh, Ramiros who lives here in Sayula. 
And what he told us is that it's principally being motivated by fear. He told us that many in the community are afraid that if you have an onslaught of mostly young, angry, hungry men and don't give them food and water, then all that's going to rise out of this is trouble. And certainly they don't want trouble. And if it's only going to be a temporary pit stop here in Seula, then the idea is help them out, feed them, clothe them, give them some water, and let them be on their way. And it just goes to show you folks, like so much that we've encountered in this part of the world, nothing is as it truly seems firsthand. For the Rebel Dot Media, I'm David the Menzoid Menzies. Great little clip there, but tell us the truth. And by the way, you saw maybe 50 different uh, souls uh, in that short clip. How many women and children did you see? I, didn't, I don't think I saw any. They're all young men. You saw someone handing out bottles of water. I don't think that was the townsfolk. I think that was one of the organizers. That's one of the things you have to organize. David said it was very hot on the trip. David told me that, I mean, of course, they landed and they had to catch up to the uh, caravan. Um, and they were moving very quickly because they were mainly going by truck and bus. And David said as they were approaching it, they saw this uh, big semi-trailer stacked with porta, portable toilets, porta-potties, um, catching up. And, and David said he didn't put that two and two together till later. That was part of this enormous logistical exercise of moving three, four, five, six, seven thousand people at full tilt from El Salvador up to America. Would you know how to get a flatbed truck stacked with portable toilets in Mexico? Would you know how to get that? Would you just know how? Uh, would you be able to afford it? There, were obviously a, there was obviously a hidden hand at work, and it wasn't that well hidden because David talked to the organizers, and they didn't hide their identity. They didn't say a lot to David, but it was clear who was organizing this. I encourage you to go to migrant, sorry, Caravan Reports, caravanreports.com, to see more. Just excellent reportage from David. And it put a lie to the media narrative about this being women and children and genuine refugees. These men didn't say that. They just wanted free stuff. Um, another recent vid, and maybe there's a, I have a bias towards the most recent stuff because I remember it. It's the end of the year. We've done thousands of videos. Um, we have a new member of the team, the Rebels. His name is Kean Bexty. And he is in Calgary, but he went up to Edmonton because a convicted, confessed war criminal, terrorist, and murderer, an Al-Qaeda member named Omar Khadr, whose father was an Al-Qaeda terrorist as well, um, he's applying <laughs> for the right to, to get a passport so he can travel to Saudi Arabia to meet his pro-terrorist sister. You know, what could possibly go wrong there? So um, there's been a lot of press conferences with Omar Khadr over the years, and the media, they're not even acting as the press, they're acting as stenographers. Not our Kean Bexty, and he walked into the court and he asked some questions of Omar Khadr. Obviously, Khadr didn't answer them, but I thought it was good just to see for the first time in many years a real reporter asking real questions of Omar Khadr other than, what's it like to be so dreamy, Omar? Here, here's Kean Bexty. Omar Khadr, can you tell me, do you regret killing Christopher Spear? Do you regret killing Christopher Spear? We're here outside of a courthouse in Edmonton where in a few minutes Omar Cotter is going to be showing up here somewhere. We're not sure exactly which door he's going to come in. We're hope hopefully we're at the right one. He's coming for a bail hearing at 1 o'clock where he's going to be 
begging or pleading for a Canadian passport so that he can fly to Saudi Arabia to meet his sister, who he hasn't seen in a long time, his sister who, by the way, has openly supported the mission of Al-Qaeda. We're not sure how this is going to turn out. It's been postponed for a few months now where the Crown Prosecutor has waited, uh, pushed it back so that they could get uh, instruction from the federal government. We're not sure what they're going to what they're going to push for here in this hearing, but we'll keep you updated with what happens. Omar Cotter, can you tell me, do you regret killing Christopher Spear? Do you regret killing Christopher Spear? Where's the money? Where's the taxpayer-funded fortune? Is it offshore right now? Tell us, Omar. After the hearing concluded, we ended up waiting outside of the courthouse for quite some time, waiting for Omar Cotter and his lawyer to come out and read scripted statements and answer the media's questions. Of course, once they realized I was from the rebel, they immediately quit answering my questions, as you'll see, but that didn't stop us. So, as promised, um, Omar's got a few words to say, and uh, let me just give you a brief introduction, and then I'll let Omar speak, because I, I realize, of course, you want to hear from Omar, not from me. Uh, I'll just say that um, Omar uh, came to me and he said he wanted to make a public statement. He's, uh, he's you know, prepared in advance ge generally what it is he wants to say. I didn't have anything to do with it, so these are not uh, a lawyer's words or anything like that. It's Omar's own words. Uh, after he makes a statement, we've decided that he's not going to take any questions, okay? So, uh, and, and that's, uh, he, he'd be happy to, but I told him I'd prefer that he not take uh, questions. You can ask me questions. I know I'm much less interesting than Omar is, but uh, I can answer some questions if that helps. But uh, um, I'd ask that you respect the process that we've adopted, which is that Omar's not going to be answering questions after his statement, okay? So that said, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Omar. Uh, thank you so much, guys. Uh, well, thank you for uh, giving me my privacy in the last uh, three and a half years. Uh, I just want to thank the, the court for... Uh, a great amazing judicial system for everything that it's been doing. I'd like to thank the you know people here in Edmonton, Quebec and uh, BC and all across Canada have only been met with uh, kindness and warmth. As you know I just uh, asked the, the judge to uh, remove the conditions. Um, when I initially asked for these uh, asked for a bill, I didn't expect it to take this long. My sentence should have uh, initially should have ended uh, this past October, but here I am. Uh, the Canadian government has put this court in a position where it has to enforce a judgment and a ruling that was derived from torture, the same torture that the Canadian government has apologized for. This is not the first time my life has been uh, held in suspension, and I'm going to continue to fight this uh, injustice and thankfully we have we have an actual court system that has actual rules and laws thank you so much how can you compare canada to guantanamo bay how can you do that uh, omar's not doing that uh, needless to say canada is not like guantanamo bay you heard uh, omar say right from the outset what a good judicial system we have and uh, the problem here of course though is that the canadian government continues to enforce a judgment decided in a different system um, so I don't think that's a fair characterization of what Mr. Cotter said. Do you have any other questions? Even if he gets a passport, which airline in Canada will take him to Saudi Arabia? 
You'd have to ask some Canadian airlines. I doubt that they'd want to take a terrorist across the sea to Saudi Arabia. Oh, I see. Okay. Did I understand? So the day started with us running around the Edmonton Court Centre trying to find out which door opened. Um, I think uh, what's, for our foreign viewers who don't understand who Omar Khadr is, remember he murdered U.S. Army medic Christopher Speer. Uh, then he, he was convicted and sentenced to 40 years in prison for that murder. But Barack Obama cut a deal with him, unbeknownst to the jury, and basically freedom from Guantanamo Bay sent him to Canada, where Justin Trudeau apologized to Cotter and gave him $10.5 million, and the media turned him into a cause celeb. What I liked about that interaction there uh, was for the first time ever, a journalist called Omar Cotter a terrorist. Did you see how shocked his lawyer was? He had never heard that said because the media was so docile. Did you hear how his lawyer, I think his name was Nate Whitling, if I recall, said, here's the rules, no questions for Cotter. You have to follow our process. And I like the fact that our Key and Bextie did not follow the process. And he asked real questions like, what airline would take a terrorist al-Qaeda murderer on? I was, I was impressed with that. And yet Kean did remain polite. And his questions, including where's the money, is a good one. Where is that $10.5 million? Is it hidden offshore? These are very good questions. I think a, a super chat came in. Let me just see if I can find it. Here we go. Nigel, two pounds. Tommy has had death threats. Hope he is okay. Yeah, can you call up <clears throat> Tommy's um, vid and maybe fast forward about a minute into it where he's reading the Osman warning? Tommy has a new vid. It's on his YouTube. We embedded it on our page today, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, we'll see if we can get the vid. Um, basically, police... It's crazy. Police came to Tommy's door with a notice and said, uh, yeah, we have intelligence that someone's trying to hurt you. Um, but what's so interesting, there's a lot of interesting things about that, including the fact that the police say you can't really defend yourself, uh, it being Britain, of course. Um, but it was left-wing Antifa who were the threat. It was not a Muslim threat. Isn't that interesting? Uh, we'll, we'll play a moment from that clip. Justin, if you can find the part, Tommy sort of waits for people to come so if we can skip over the first minute or so to where he reads. I'd like to play a minute of him reading from that Osmond morning with you. Thanks. So you got it there, do you? Okay. I'll, I'll wait for your signal. I'll read the next super chat in the meaning. Caleb Nisinger says, I want to thank you for being a genuine reporting outlet for younger people learning about politics like myself. I am not from Canada, but I still find your The Rebel Reports on Canadian issues informative in many ways. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and I, and I understand what you mean, because some of the themes we talk about, so Omar Khadr is a name probably not well known around the world, but there are terrorists or terrorist supporters like him in many jurisdictions. And Jim Chowdhury in the United Kingdom is an obvious Example, and we had a jail engine campaign over there, and we delivered a petition to 10 Downing Street. So, a lot of the themes we talk about, we talk about open borders immigration. I showed you some global warming matters. Uh, those are global, those are global themes. Uh, we do have the clip ready. Here's a quick clip of Tommy uh, reading this warning that police hand delivered to his house. Take a look. So, this is Osman versus the United Kingdom. Deputy Police. Name, Stephen Christopher Lennon. That's me. I am PC from Bedfordshire Police. I must inform you that you are not under arrest or under caution. That's a start. I'm in to inform you 
that we have received information that your well-being may be in danger. This relates to left-wing activists having sourced your home address and are threatening to attend and cause criminal acts of violence. I believe you are personally aware of that and the situation may have risen as a, resu as a result of your business activities and lifestyles. No, it's arisen as a result of my political beliefs. This is political targeting of opponents with threats of violence. I must advise you to take appropriate measures to ensure your safety, but warn you that this does not entitle you to break the law. Anyone sitting in America, what that basically means is we're not allowed a weapon to defend ourselves. We have to sit like sitting ducks with our family, waiting for people to come and commit acts of violence against us. If you feel you need police assistance, I'm able to put you in touch with experienced officers who can advise you. Well, Officer Police, I have given you countless, countless and numerous amounts of evidence to show you who is threatening me, who is promoting acts of violence against me, and you've not once ever arrested one single... It's a really good video. I don't want to play the whole thing now because we just don't have time for it, but we have that video. Uh, you can find it on Tommy's own uh, YouTube page where we have embedded his YouTube video on our uh, the rebel.media too. It's a very succinct uh, video by Tommy where he outlines the laughable nature of this warning. It's basically police saying, oh, by the way, mate, someone's coming to get you, but you can't protect yourself. Um, and hey, if you need any uh, coaching, just phone us and maybe we'll send someone around. It's quite, it's a, a shocking, it's really a cover your uh, tush move by the police. So they can say, well, we told them, we told them someone was coming for, well, if you know, Antifa's coming for Tommy's home. Why don't you go and stop it? Why don't you go and arrest someone? Why don't you go bust it up? Oh, no. See, Gov, around here, we just give you a notice. It's, it's, you know, I love the United Kingdom because, of course, Canada came from the United Kingdom. Some of, much of our traditions, legal, historical, constitutional, parliamentary, cultural, come from the United Kingdom. We are, the Queen's on our money. The Queen's on our passport. Uh, the Queen of Britain is also the Queen of Canada. Um, but how can you, how can you watch that and, and feel pride in what Britain has become, at least legally, constitutional, parliamentarily? And it's one of the reasons we're so interested in the Tommy Robinson case, because we love the United Kingdom, but we also see it as a warning to the rest of us. Ingrid K. Warner chips in 10 bucks, thanks Ingrid, and says, it's rather sad that our country would apologize for Cotter and paid him out, yet we have, we gave a half-assed apology to thalidomide babies, or, or a hundred other more deserving people. I mean, an analogy I often make, or sorry, a comparison I often make, is when Trudeau said to that soldier who was injured in Afghanistan, who was asking why veterans don't have more benefits, Trudeau said, they're asking for more than we can give. Um, that's the one time Trudeau finds his fiscal conservatives when he's talking to veterans, but he can scare up 10 million in a jiffy for any terrorist. By the way, there are at least three other terrorists or accused terrorists or alleged terrorists that he's paid off at 10 million bucks a pop. So he's about 30 or 40 million dollars so far. D. Tyler Dunbrack chips in 12 bucks and says, could you comment on the Faith Goldie decision ordered to pay Bell's legal fees? What is going on with their judges? 
I saw that. I think she has to pay 43000 That seems excessive to, um, for what was probably a half-day hearing. Um, it is within the discretion of judges. It's also within the discretion of judges not to order costs at all. If there was some germ of public interest in the case, which there probably was, I didn't read the judgment, uh, the ruling in full. I understand it said that Faith should have gone to the CRTC rather than the particular court first. Uh, it strikes me, though, that a $43,000 cost penalty, that sounds like a full indemnity basis. No one gets that in court. So I think it was uh, uh, a judge flexing their own political bias. Welcome to Toronto. All right, I think I've caught up on the, um, the Super Chats. So let's go to uh, the next video, which I'll introduce in a second. You know, we have a lot of personal... You just asked me a question about Faith Goldie, and we fired Faith, of course, so that was an unhappy ending. But she did have a great tour of duty with us before that. We have people come and go at the Rebel, and sometimes they come and go in happy ways. We were just talking about Tommy there. Uh, I mean, we said goodbye to Tommy, too. It was amicable. I mean, Tommy just is not built for a boss. That's the short answer. I mean, that's how, that's how I said it to Tommy when we said goodbye. I said, Tommy, love you, mate, but um, you can't put lightning in a bottle. That's the exact phrase I used. So it was, it was a goodbye with Tommy, and then three months later he was arrested and imprisoned, and then we came back to help him, even though we didn't have any formal ties with him. And it was, it was great, actually, to reconnect with Tommy, not as boss and employee, but as sort of equals or friends or whatever. Like, we, we don't have a formal... It was, it was a lot better, frankly. It's, it's way more fun to be Tommy's friend than to be Tommy's boss. It's just a tip. Um, so we had people come and go. Lauren Southern, Jack Posobiec, Gavin McInnes. Gavin was hired away by CRTV. I guess he was a little bit too hot for them, so they let him go. We've had a lot of characters, and one of the characters we had with us this year, for most of the year, was Katie Hopkins. And we sent her to Molenbeek, which is a uh, municipality in Belgium, which is really, even its own mayor says it is the terrorist hotbed of that country. In fact, one of the terrorists uh, plotting and carried out the Bataclan terrorist attacks, hid out there in plain sight in Malmbeek. It's the kind of place that's so Islamic in demographic and character that no one rats out an actual ISIS terrorist to police because it's, it's not even, they're not even, they don't even regard themselves as Belgian. They're like colonists or settlers for the caliphate. Here's our Katie Hopkins. She was with us at the time. By pure chance, she encountered the mayor of Malmbique on the street. I mean, it's hard to imagine that that happened coincidentally, but Malmbique is a pretty small place, and Katie was right in the center of the city, and she was walking up to some park bench or something, and it was dirty, and I guess the mayor saw that, and the mayor came up to Katie and said, don't sit there because it's dirty. I'm the mayor. Can you believe the, the odds of that? I'm told it's a small city, so that's not that incredible that it happened. But Katie knew her stuff and asked the mayor, why did you let these terrorists camp out here when you knew they were here? But watch this interaction. But were you told that Salah Abdel Salah was a suspected terrorist in Molenbeek. Were you given that list? Were you given that information well, in October 2016? 15? 
yes. Well, we had a list, but this list was uh, known. I I just had a list of a, a few uh, names. names. Well, I would say more than 30 names, but it was not the job of the local police to follow those people. This is the job of the federal police, and still now it's the job of the federal police. But if 130 people died and 415 mm -hmm. people are injured, if that was my daughter and you said, but it wasn't our job, I would really want to... I would feel well, angry at yes, you, wouldn't of course, I? And many people were angry. We're still I angry that every French day. People were angry. Are angry about what's happened. I understand. Yeah, but that you were given a list and you said no. it's not the job. You were given a list. No, no, no. This list, it was those people are maybe supposed to be uh, in concerned by, by the terrorist activities. The activities. Huh? Uh, not the tourist activities, the jihadist activities. This is I don't not think the it same. makes it better. I don't think it makes it better. And, you, and still well, no one did anything. Of course. That's your I, I am angry because yes. I live in London and my children are yeah. at risk every yes, day. Yes, and I'm living in, in, in Molenbeek and in Brussels and we have the same, uh, uh, the same feeling. But what if, given that list, you'd just gone out well, and grabbed those people? No, Nothing would have happened. This Paris wouldn't have happened. You don't understand. No. The police local can arrest people we no. are not able well we mm. it's not we we can't listen we just can catch people when they if they if they do something yeah on on the fact but we can't mm. arrest people that, no that's no, not how it no. works and um, thank you i do appreciate your time i appreciate your honesty and i appreciate no, no, you being I, kind I, enough I'm to a speak little bit because foreign people especially for people from the united states or from england They I don't are feel always foreign. Going, angry. Back. No, they're not angry, and uh, angry. they are always. Uh, and I know the New York uh, Times talk about it. And you always come with this list. But We do. The, and you say, well, and it's you're your guilty name. because you didn't make anything with this list. We couldn't arrest. We cannot arrest people. I just don't. Now, but you I must understand. But you would understand if it was your child that was slaughtered. You would say, "I wish no. we'd just done something." I, th yes, I think you would. I, I would. Me, I'm. A, I, I, I'm administrative authority. I don't have the power to arrest people. Yeah. That's the way it is. I'm not a sheriff. No, <laughs> no. I understand. I understand, and I, I respect you taking the time I'm to not explain the it. Of the, the, the district. No, but somebody has to, to own it. There's a difference between the uh, administrative authority and uh, uh, But as a mother authority. of a dead child, you don't make that distinction, you know. I understand, I understand, but as an administrative authority, I have to respect the law. Of course. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate I it. I appreciate you talking to me. Thank you. What are the odds, eh? Katie knew her stuff, but what do you think of the excuses? Yeah, well, it's not my job. Sure, I was sent a list of terrorist suspects in town, but stop bugging me. Why are you such a nitpicker? It's someone else's job. Why are you asking me to do it? someone else's job? I'm just the mayor. Why asking? <laughs> Can you believe that? I should tell you, I don't, I don't think we ever made this public, but that mayor had the prosecutor contact us saying they were going to sue us for slandering and embarrassing Belgium. And I thought that's not a thing, but I did look it up, actually, and that actually is a thing. 
Um, I think it was just them saber rattling because it's been the better part of a year and they have not followed through. But uh, obviously, Katie uh, struck a nerve there because they threatened to sue her. Uh, David Anderson chips in 20 bucks. Merry Christmas and happy Hanukkah, Ezra. Keep up the great work and see you in 2019. Well, that's very nice of you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> and yeah, we're, we're going to be four years old in February. That's pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> let's check the time. How much time have we got? It's 12.39. I have three more clips here. Uh, the first one's a little bit, uh, the next one's a little bit self-serving. But you know what? It was a very fun moment for me. And uh, will you indulge me for, for about like two minutes? Because, uh, you know, I showed you some vids from <clears throat> some of our different personalities. Sheila in Poland, Sheila in Morocco, David in Mexico, Kian in Edmonton, Katie in Belgium. Um, I don't travel as much as I'd like because I got to be here in, in, in our world headquarters. And I have to do a show every day from the world headquarters. And, uh, you know, I got a family. I don't want to take off a week and go travel the world. Um, as much as I might otherwise. But I, but I did take it upon myself to go to London for Tommy's travails because I, I knew him personally. It felt like a personal mission. I have a law background. I, I, I had worked with Tommy before. I knew about contempt. So I, I, it was just like a, it was only something I was a fit for, you know, because uh, I, I had known Tommy's court problems when he was with us. So I felt like I was completely up to speed with who is Tommy, what is his legal history, what's his history in regards to contempt of court and British judges. So there was no way I could have briefed anyone on that to take that. I had to do that myself. And I flew to London, I think five times this year. And I'm not going to complain about it, even though it's seven hours each way, because Abby Yamini <laughs> flew there twice from Melbourne, Australia. That's 25 hours each way. If a guy's going to spend 25 hours each way in a plane, you cannot complain for spending seven hours each way in a plane. So I won't complain. Uh, but I did a lot of reports. I did a ton. And you can see them all at tommytrial.com, if you're curious. Uh, I probably did uh, 40 videos. I'm just estimating. Um, <clears throat> and uh, when I started, I was pretty unknown in the UK. I mean, I had never done a video in the UK. Tommy never mentioned me. Why would he? But over the course of the summer, I, as I fought in the court of public opinion and helped a little bit with their fight in the court of law, uh, I guess Tommy's army saw me as a source of information. So uh, when Tommy was finally freed at the uh, Old Bailey Courthouse a couple months ago, I went up on the stage and said a few quick words. And then there was a spontaneous moment, you know, it was touching and it was quite something when 2,000 people uh, sing a little song for you. That's never happened to me before. It, just take a look. Let me, let me uh, have my own uh, reminiscence here for two minutes. And I know this is self-indulgent, but this was a fun moment for me. Take a look. I want to thank, I want to thank every single person who showed me support when I come out. I, my head was all over the place, and I couldn't even deal with the slippers. Ezra. Thank <laughs> you. 
Well, that was pretty fun just watching that now. Boy, you know, my face went red, didn't it? It's always a little bit red, I guess. In the background there, you saw Avi Yamini. He was wearing the Yarmulke. And there was Gerard Batten, the head of UKIP. And I think Janice Atkinson was a member of the European Parliament. So there's a good crew of folks there. That was a really fun day. And, of course, Tommy right at the front. He was feeling like a million bucks because, of course, uh, the recorder of London, which is what they call the senior judge of the Old Bailey, said he could uh, basically go. So that was a very fun day, and it felt like the culmination of several months of effort. And um, no, that was just quite a surprise. And even just watching it again now, I have those same feelings of, whoa, that's, that was pretty good. That was pretty great. I won't lie. That felt great. So thank you for that. Uh, and I, I, uh, I have a little bit of fun news for you about Tommy in the new year. So uh, let me just tease you with that. I'm sorry that I won't tell you the whole story, but I'll, I'll tell you more in the new year. Uh, check the clock. It's uh, <clears throat> 1244. Um, am I up to, to date with all the Super Chats? Yeah. Okay. So um, there's two more clips I want to show you, and I think we can get through them. And then I'll take some more uh, questions. I've read all the Super Chats. Uh, if, you, if you read the Super Chats, I will uh, – if you make a Super Chat, I'll read it. But other than that, I'm just going to hold off on the regular uh, chat until I get through these next videos. Um, we, I mentioned some of the world travel we do. And you know what? It's it's sort of fun. Like, I I, I enjoy going to, the, to London. It's a beautiful city. Um, the flight didn't bug me. I would sleep. Uh, I would always take the night flight over. I'd sleep. Um, <clears throat> I enjoyed the banter with the cabbies. I enjoy the, you know, it's, when you live in London, I imagine you grow numb to how amazing it is. The history, the architecture, every street has a story. You probably <clears throat> take it for granted if that's all you know. But when you're from one of the... Um, well, from the Commonwealth as we are here, it's it's sort of like a homecoming in a way. Of course, there's many things about the UK today that are unrecognizable, but um, that's a different story. Um, my point is, I uh, I enjoyed that trip, but I would always come back really quickly. And same thing with um, most of our our, our, our people. Like when, when Sheila was in Poland, when David was in Mexico. Like Mexico is, is nice as a tourist, but David did not go to resorts. You saw where David was. He was in um, very untouristy parts. And they were sleeping in shack-style hotels. And Sheila was in Poland, not staying at the five-star hotel. She was working full tilt with our cameraman. So... Um, it's not a party, although it's interesting and it's travel. Uh, it's a very different way of traveling than the CBC state broadcaster sends their journalists or than the UN delegates send their journalists. Um, so we did send David Menzies to Marrakesh this year where they weren't having a global warming conference. They were having a UN global compact for migration conference. And uh, so I threw in that preamble because it sounds like fun touristy visits, but I want to let you know that these guys work. Uh, so we were there gathering facts and, and doing our best job, but we're the only people in Canada who criticize this UN Global Pact for Migration, and we're one of the few outlets in the world, frankly, that do so. Because all the mainstream media either ignores it, or says, oh, this is wonderful. Or if you press them, okay, there's a lot of concerning things in it, but it's not binding, so don't worry. So well, we, we go against the grain, and one of our mottos here is the other side of the story, telling the other side of the story. So 
In the same week, an official talking point went out in Canada, demonized the rebel. And, and so we did a mashup of Canada's immigration minister, who himself is a Muslim refugee from Somalia, and he wants to open the gates to endless migration, and Justin Trudeau. And listen to their exact wording. They literally were reading from the same script. It's sort of embarrassing when someone is writing a script for your prime minister, and it's the same word for word as for your immigration minister. You think, oh, so neither of them are really the boss, since there's someone who's scripting even your prime minister. But watch this mashup we made. I sort of like it. It is disappointing to see the Conservatives and uh, Max, uh, the, the, mem the member opposite engage in peddling uh, rebel media conspiracy uh, theories. It is disappointing to see the Conservatives engage in peddling rebel media conspiracy theories. It is disappointing to see the Conservatives engage in peddling rebel media conspiracy uh, theories. It is disappointing to see the Conservatives engage in peddling rebel media conspiracy theories. It is disappointing to see the Conservatives engage in peddling rebel media conspiracy theories. I, so I like that mashup. It's a little weird, but they were literally saying the same words uh, from the heart, though. I take it as a great badge of honor that um, two globalists, open borders extremists, think that the rebel is the source of the other side of the story. And we have asked in writing and uh, verbally what conspiracy theory they're talking about. I don't know what conspiracy theory they're talking about. We read the 34-page document and commented on it, and David attended the Morocco event. They wouldn't let him in the actual conference building, but we went uh, around the event like Sheila did for the Global Warming Conference. So I don't know what conspiracy theory they're referring to. I don't think they know. I think someone has to give them a cue card with their answer for that. But uh, in fact, I think that we're the only people in the country in journalism who've actually read the agreement. Um, do you really think Justin Trudeau has read the agreement? All right, it's 1249, and we have one more um, video. <clears throat> and it, it touches on some of the events that we do at The Rebel. We do events. We have a big event in Toronto every year called The Rebel Live, where we have close to 1,000 people join us for one day, and we have great speakers. Um, in the past, Jordan Peterson has been a speaker. Uh, Doug Ford, before he was Premier of Ontario, was a speaker. Lindsay Shepard's been a speaker at, I think, three of our events now. Um, we have an event in Calgary. And uh, recently we had Maxine Bernier speak to us. Now, I should tell you that we invited the leader of the Federal Conservative Party, Andrew Scheer, as well. And we invited the leader of the New People's Party, Maxime Bernier, who was Andrew Scheer's rival. We invited them both on identical terms. Come, give a speech, speak whatever you want, Q&A, uh, both keynote speeches, whatever. Same, and we made the same invitation to Jason Kenney, by the way. Um, but the problem with Jason Kenney and Andrew Scheer is that although they actually agree with us on probably 99% of things, um, they're afraid to say so because the mean girls in the media party will criticize them for hanging out with the rebel. And I know this because uh, I have enough friends in both of these parties to talk to them and say, look, Ezra, if we do an interview with the rebel, if we're seen with the rebel for a week, all the mean girls, the Rosemary Bartons, the Wendy Mansleys, the Paul Wells, the Althea Radges, the 
post medias will rag on us. And I, and I said, well, who cares? Why are you <laughs> letting the media determine who you can talk to and what you can say? But they're, they're timid. And they're making the mistake of thinking that, I no, I swear I can make him love me. Yeah, he, he beats me, but he, he hits me because it's only because he loves me. It's like, it's like they've got what used to be called battered women syndrome. Uh, Andrew Shear and Jason Kenney are terrified of the media. But look, guys, they're going to hate you no matter what you do. How about be yourself? Maxime Bernier doesn't suffer from the same lack of confidence. So he came to speak to us uh, at our Rebel Live event. And let me say, I've said this publicly, I think Maxime Bernier should have stayed in the Conservative Party. I think what he's doing is splittist. And I think he would have been the heir apparent uh, when, I think it's a when, it might be an if, uh, Andrew Scheer loses the next election. Maxime Bernier could have been there to catch the catch the prize when Scheer dropped it. Who knows? Maybe Scheer will win. I don't know. Um, so I I think uh, Maxime should have stayed within, but he's out, and that's a fact. And he's a newsmaker, so we invited him to give a speech. And I, I got to say, it's tough not to like the guy. He's likable. He's charismatic. He's a good communicator in in French. He's got pretty good English. But most of all, he's bold. And even the fact that he came to our conference, despite the mean girls all clucking, oh, oh you, you, you went to the rebel. You went, yeah, yeah. And he'll even talk to the CBC, despite their fiasco, their Me Too fiasco of Jean Gomeshi. Who would ever talk to the CBC again after that fiasco? Well, I mean, I guess you talk to them because not everyone's a Jean Gomeshi and because you want to talk to the CBC's viewers. But why would... Like every media, like I don't even understand the idea of, I don't even know why, but, but the mean girls don't want the rebel to be treated as equals to them, but we're not equals to them. We're, we're bigger than them. We have 1.1 million subscribers on YouTube. On any given day, CBC's The National gets, what, 300,000 viewers? So I don't know. I mean, it doesn't hurt my feelings particularly. I just think it shows a sign of lack of courage on the part of Andrew Shear and Jason Kenney. But Maxime Bernier... Uh, did indeed come to our conference. Uh, I think Andrew Shear and Jason Kenny would have been very well received, by the way, and they could have made their case. Instead, they let Maxime Bernier have our entire audience. I can't remember how many people. I think it's 600 people there. Uh, and Bernier had them all to him. So, and I should tell you, a lot of them were skeptical. They called him a splittist. They said, why? But after he gave a really good talk and answered questions, I have to say every single person in that room who liked him liked him more or who didn't like him, well, they liked him, they disliked him a little bit less, and he turned around people. And frankly, it was, these are grass tops, political activists, and Kenny and Shear were foolish not to be there too. So without further ado, here's just a couple of minutes, just a couple of minutes chosen almost at random from Maxime Bernier's speech to our Calgary conference. And the last one, the last one for Ezra. <laughs> yes, cutting the CBC budget. Yes. I'll be pleased to do that. I'll be pleased. You think that CBC is bad? Radio Canada in French, it is worse. So, (laughs) on these and many other issues, the Conservative Party, Party has nothing specific to offer. On the master head of my blog, there was for many years a sentence that summarizes my approach to politics. If you want conservative principles to win the battle of ideas, you have to defend them 
openly, with passion, and with conviction. I have... I have been defending the same small government principles since I entered into politics 12 years ago. The specific policies that I proposed during the leadership campaign for the Conservative Party of Canada are the same ones that form the basis of the People's Party platform. With me, you know what you are getting. What about Andrew Scheer's conservative? A year and a half after becoming the leader, Scheer is still an unknown quantity. Most Canadians didn't know who he is and what he really stands for. The party has to run ads on TV to make sure Canadians have some idea of who he is. <laughs> we know he is against the carbon tax, against illegal immigrants, and for pipelines. That's fine. We all agree with this. But what else? The Conservative Party still has no platform for the next year's election. They keep saying they will unveil bits and pieces of it in the coming months. Do you know why they are not ready? Yeah, you don't know why, but I'll tell you why. It's because they're too busy and they're still doing polls and focus group. They're too busy to do polling and focus group. That's why. It's not about principle. It's about pandering. They are trying to determine... You know, I, I thought he made a strong case. Uh, there are flaws to his case, as I pointed out before, but he went into that room of conservative supporters, and I think he won people over. And I see that he is leading, at least in terms of tweets and questions and question period or, or written questions or petitions. I believe that it was his opposition to the Global Pact for Migration that caused Andrew Scheer to do that. A few weeks ago, it became apparent that Andrew Scheer has a new Twitter team because, um, lo and behold, Andrew Scheer, sounds, Andrew Scheer sounds a lot more like Maxime Bernier on Twitter these days than he did before. And I think Andrew Scheer's weird meeting with uh, Kevin O'Leary was an attempt to show that he's really tough, just like Maxime. By the way, all of these things I think are good. Uh, Maxime is actually changing the Conservative Party from without. Uh, I had hoped that he would change it from within, but he is shaping it. And I can tell that Gerald Butts and Justin Trudeau hate it. All right, well, I've gotten through the clips that I wanted to get through, and we, we had a, one or two extras that was fine, too. Uh, I want to thank you for being super chatters with me throughout the year. It's something we started, and we'll, do, we'll try new things in 2019. Um, here's, here's, I mean, I got about a minute left, so let me tell you what I expect uh, to happen in 2019. Um, I think the biggest thing in 2019 will be the deployment of Justin Trudeau's $595 million uh, slush fund for a journalist that he can trust. And as Paul Godfrey, the CEO of Post Media, the largest publisher of dailies in Canada, said, every Post Media journalist should do a victory lap around the office. I don't know if that was an instructional memo to staff 
or aspirational or just symbolic. But if you work at Post Media, you know what you think about Justin Trudeau now. You love him. So that's the Calgary Herald, the Edmonton Sun, the Saskatoon Star, Phoenix, the Regina Leader Post, the Montreal Gazette, the National Post, the Vancouver Sun, the Vancouver Province, just a few papers. And of course, the CBC was already all in, and now the Global Mail and the Toronto Star and CTV and Global, they're all in. There is no one left unbought except for us. That's the first thing you're going to see in the year 2019. The second, that's the carrot, but we ain't taking the carrot. We're not taking the slush fund bailout. So now comes the stick. Can you call it up quickly, the Toronto Star front page of Sheryl Sandberg and Justin Trudeau? There was a story almost a year ago now that I think was the story of the year, but it was reported just once in the Toronto Star. And it was leaked to the Toronto Star by the Prime Minister's office. So they wanted it published. They wanted to scare Facebook. Isn't that weird? Justin Trudeau wanted to pressure Facebook so they leaked this story. The Justin Trudeau, here we go, Trudeau to Facebook, fix your fake news problem or face stricter regulations. So this was leaked in February of 2018. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has warned social networking giant Facebook it needs to fix its, quote, fake news problems or face stronger regulation from Ottawa. Trudeau told Facebook Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg in November he was concerned the company wasn't doing enough to stop the spread of misleading information on their platform. The source with direct knowledge of the conversation told the star. Scroll down just a tiny bit more. Facebook has been under intense blah 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 a little bit further. And here's what's so terrifying. The last paragraph there, as Canadian political parties prepare for the 2019 federal election, the source said, Trudeau suggested Ottawa could intervene if Facebook doesn't adequately address the issues. So the source is obviously uh, Trudeau's communications director, or even more likely Gerald Butts, the principal secretary. So he's saying, all right, for those people who don't take the carrot, there is the stick. And he specifically said in 2019, I want to weed out any untrustworthy news that I can't trust. That's the second part of 2019. You'll see attacks on the only independent media in this country. It may come directly from the liberals, May come in the form of nuisance suits, for example. But I think much more likely, we'll just wake up one day and our Facebook will be gone. Maybe our YouTube will be gone. Maybe our Twitter will be gone. No fingerprints, no appeal, no lawsuit, no process, no transparency. It'll just happen. And you saw Trudeau himself wanted it to happen. Well, we'll do our best to fight. 2019 is going to be a very exciting year for Canada, for Alberta, which has an election, for the world. Will Tommy Robinson be arrested again? What will happen in Europe? What will happen in the United States with the Congress now in the hands of Democrats? We'll be there to cover it all. And I hope you'll be there with us. Until the new year, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, goodbye. <laughs>